Welcome to the Picture Methods Podcast, your online home for photography insights and inspiration. Here is your host, Scott Fawn. Hey, welcome to the flagship podcast of the Picture Methods blog, where we deliver free insights and inspiration for photographers on a weekly basis. I'm so happy that you have decided to come along for our third episode. Uh, We do this every month around the sixth of the month, give or take. And you can tell it's always the sixth of the month because I seem to always have a cold on the sixth of the month. Anyway, as always, to get the most out of the show, please visit www.picturemethods.com for the show notes, which are usually up within a few days of the podcast saying the RSS feed. It's a big show today, a lot of news. I'll cover uh, all of it that I can. Uh, Also, I have a very exciting interview with my friend Steve Brazel, who is a master concert photographer. This guy's work is definitely special. If you see it, you'll instantly recognize his style. It's really quite something, and I'm so glad he took time out of his busy day to join me for this month's episode. He has his own podcast. We'll get to that in a minute. I'm going to be also offering some insights on how photographers can effectively use social media. And then there's everyone's favorite part of the cast, the Q&A. And this month, we have three questions. I'll follow up with a word of encouragement and then discuss our theme for show four, which is going to be here in May. So there's lots to get into. I'm going to dive right in. The 2019 DEPA Award winners were announced this week. Um, Partial list of winners includes the Nikon D3500 won the award for best DSLR camera. The Olympus OMD EM1X won for best micro four-thirds camera. I agree with that. The Nikon Z7 was named best full-frame pro camera. The Lumix S1 was awarded the best photo slash video camera. The best DSLR ultra-wide prime lens went to Samyang, the XP10 3.5. I think that's interesting. Samyang continues to become a player in the industry. Best inkjet photo printer, Hanamura, photo rag metallic. They make great paper. Best imaging software. <laughs> Again, hey, I, I didn't have anything to do with it, but, uh, you know, they picked Skylum Luminar 3. Very cool. Best professional tripod went to the Unique Ball iQuick 3 Pod. I just switched to one of their ball heads, so that's a very interesting company to me. All of the award winners will be linked in our show notes so you can read the full list it's quite extensive skylum announced their new plugin called flex which is a solution for photographers who want access to tools without ditching their current workflow entirely the plugin works with adobe photoshop lightroom classic photoshop elements and mac os photos it'll even work with aperture if you still got that in the next version of luminar libraries the plugins will be removed So photographers will have the choice of working entirely within the Skylum ecosystem or continuing with their outside workflows and gaining access to Luminar's features and filters through Flex. By way of disclosure, I'm past president of Skylum and a current member of their board of advisors. Athentech, the company behind Perfectly Clear, image optimization and its algorithms and is used in printing services deployed by Bibble and PaintShop Pro and others, has been acquired by Canadian company IQ. 
The new owners say they will maintain all of Athen Tech's current business and will continue to offer the perfectly clear technology. You know that is the perfectly clear plugin. They are also planning to invest in areas such as artificial intelligence and innovative workflow solutions. They've also created a web front end for the tech. And also another disclosure I used to consult with Athentech. Panasonic Lumix announced the DC-G95, a mid-range micro four-thirds camera. The G95 replaces the G85, and it is only available in North America as a kit with a kit lens priced at $1,199. The G90 is the concurrent model in Europe. Great news for European street photographers. My good friend Marco LaRousse, who I used to do the We Shoot Mirrorless show with and PPN, etc., has organized the first German street photography festival, June 21st through 23rd, 2019, in his hometown of Hamburg. You can find details at germanstreetphotographyfestival.com. We'll have the link in the show notes. And congratulations to Marco. I know he's been working on this project for quite some time. And if I know him, it will be a fantastic show. Maybe even worth getting on a plane and going to Hamburg for. There's a new exhibit at the SF MoMA, otherwise known as the San Francisco Museum of Modern Art. It's called Snap and Share, transmitting photographs from mail art to social networks. Dutch artist Eric Kessels printed out 350,000 Flickr photos, piled them randomly into a giant undulating heap, and this work is supposed to show how the Internet has become officially enormous. That's to represent a daily number of pictures uploaded to Flickr, 350,000. That's probably low. In other news, photo rumor sites are nothing but clickbait. That is bad for your health, and Olympus is not selling its camera business. <laughs> that is all. If you have news, preferably real, or information that you think might be of interest to the Picture Methods Photography Podcast, send your news release to scott at picturemethods.com. I can't guarantee you that I'll use every story, but every suggestion will receive full and fair consideration. Hey, in case you missed last month's show, you can find it in the RSS feed or on the picturemethods.com blog. I had a great conversation with my pal Derek Story on the new flagship Olympus OMD EM1X camera, and that's all of a sudden become more relevant since it just won the TIPA Award for Best Micro Four Thirds Camera. Be sure to check that out and all the other shows that we do in the archives. On today's Insight segment, I want to talk about social media. Social media can be very valuable to photographers because it helps us do the one thing that's necessary to get published and paid, and that is show the work, 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 and then show the work, and then do it some more, and then show the work. That's the number one tip I give to people who constantly ask me, which is, by the way, daily how do I get my pictures published? How do I get my pictures sold? How do I get paid? How do I license them? How do I get people to buy my prints? It all starts with the most basic premise that you can't sell something you can't show. You must show the work, and social media gives you that outlet. I have received countless jobs as a result of leads I got on social media. Somebody saw a picture. Sometimes it's not what you would expect. 
a perfect example is I posted a picture a couple years ago that I happened to make in Utah at Monument Valley while I was testing one of the new Fuji cameras at the time. And advertising agency in Salt Lake City saw it and licensed it for use in a trade show booth. Now, I'm known for my bird photographs, but they saw this on the internet and they licensed it. Many of my bird photos, of course, are licensed as a result of being shown on the internet. I've developed a couple of really good patrons in China as a result of the internet. So I do want to encourage you to post to the internet. I do want to also discourage you from engaging in all the swill that goes on there. Don't engage in the camera form bickering and the camera wars and all that stuff. Just post your picture and shut up. That's the way I'm trying to approach it anyway. I don't, I don't let people engage me anymore that are trolls. I just block them. I don't even have a thought about it. So I just post the pictures. Now, are you going to be attacked for posting pictures? Eventually, if you get any kind of audience, yes. If you have any kind of style of your own, yes. If you're brave and bold and make photographs from your heart, yes. That's all good news. If you're being attacked, it means you're doing something right. So let's just move past all that garbage and talk about what you should concentrate on. Well, the number one social media site for photographers is probably Instagram because it's the only one that was designed strictly for photography. Now, it's not exactly my cup of tea because it's it's a whole different style of photography. I, I consider it iPhoneography, not so much photography, although people like me do post serious photographs to Instagram. I use a plugin called Flume that I highly recommend, which allows you to take pictures off your desktop and put them onto Instagram. And I will have a link to the show notes on how to get Flume. It's really a cool plug-in. It's not very expensive. But anyway, uh, posting pictures daily to Instagram that comport around one single theme. For me, it's always bird photography. If you're a food photographer, a food photograph every day. If you're a landscape photographer, a landscape photograph every day. Or more than one. This is a good way to build an audience along with using hashtags. On Instagram, hashtags have really helped me. Now, I don't have the massive following on Instagram that I have on Twitter for a couple reasons. I've been on Twitter a lot longer. I just got on Instagram a little while ago. And secondly, it's, it's not something that I embrace like I do Twitter. So it's my fault. And the lesson here is that you'll get out of social media what you put into it. I put a lot of time and effort into Twitter, so I got 219,000 followers. I think I, on Instagram, I think I have like less than 8,000. But it's okay because if it's the right 8,000, if it's the right five or 15 people, that's all that matters. I've gotten, like I said, licensing jobs. I've gotten published got a couple of stories in some magazines as a result of the images that I posted there. So I do want to encourage you to use hashtags. And hashtags are very important on Instagram. I do have a couple of tips for you because I don't want this to be just, you know, ethereal concepts. I want to tell you exactly what to do. If you post your hashtags on Instagram, my recommendation is limited to 30 hashtags. And I say post them in the comment section immediately after your picture. Don't post them with the picture. They seem to track better if you post them attached to the picture as a comment. And you want to use a mix of popular hashtags, the kinds of things that people might browse when looking for your work, 
combined with very specific hashtags that are directly tied to your genre or specific area of interest. Obviously, I'm going to use things like birds, bird photography, avian, bird photo, wildlife photo, nature photography. But there are special Instagram hangouts for bird photographers. And I will also tag to those places like birds of Instagram, beautiful birds of Instagram, etc. You'll need to do a little bit of research on the best tags for your specific genre. But once you have those figured out, then you'll want to use them. So remember that my recommendation is 30 hashtags because that's the maximum allowed. And I really think that if you do it consistently, you'll start to get traction. The other thing you can do is look at pictures that are of interest to you and that match your genre and engage with those photographers. If you're a wedding photographer, follow other wedding photographers and like the pictures that they post if you think they're good. Comment on them if you think they're good. That engages people and gets them to take a look at your stream. And I don't recommend that you do this in any way other than the most organic way. Just do it from your heart. Don't do it as a machine to try to get followers. Do it because you want to engage with people who do the kind of photography that you do. I think that's the way to go. Now, how about the other social media sites? Well, here's what I use. I use Twitter, I use Facebook, and I use Flickr. And I want to start there. Flickr has been purchased by SmugMug. It was taken away from Yahoo, Yahoo, however you like to say it. And the folks at SmugMug, who I've known for years, and who are extremely dedicated photographers and dedicated to photography, have purchased it, and they intend to clean it up. Now, it's slow going because it's a massive undertaking. But I have to say, there are a couple things about Flickr I really like. Number one... If you post an image to Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, it's going to be schmooshed. It's going to be compressed, and it is not going to look as good as you hope it will. And sometimes you'll even be judged. I had a guy recently on Facebook, oh, this isn't that sharp. This isn't that detailed. I said, well, go look at it on Flickr. He goes, never mind. On Flickr, you can post the thing in, in pretty near full resolution. It's amazing. And it really makes a difference. I like the fact that you can also show your EXIF data on Flickr, which stops people from asking you what it is. It just saves some time. I really like the Flickr layout. I like the way the pictures look. It's a great service. It costs a little bit of money. All things that are valuable and, and worth having do. But I would highly recommend looking at Flickr Pro. I have no relationship uh, financially with the company. I'm just suggesting you do it because I like it. Now, I just started because they just bought it. Smugbug just bought it this year. So I've only got myself about 500 followers there, but they're very engaged and I enjoy posting there again because I can reference those pictures in other platforms. If you say, hey, if you want to see the high-res version, go over to my Flickr account. I use Facebook begrudgingly. I got on there, to be honest with you. But I have to say, I only have, I don't know, again, not a lot of followers, maybe 5,000. But they're engaged with me. I really have back and forth with the folks on Facebook and encourage you to be one of those. Follow me on Facebook. That's the best way to talk to me if you want an actual online conversation. Twitter, I use more as a broadcast medium, one to many. It's always worked well that way for me. Whether or not it's supposed to be used that way, that's how I use it. I have 219,000 followers. I only follow about 900 people. I put out a picture every day. I put out links to my articles on picturemethods.com or LinkedIn, etc. And 
that's how I use it. And it, and it's to good effect. I don't use a lot of hashtags on Twitter because I haven't found them to be useful. Just say the word photography. You don't need to put a bunch of hashtags in there and you'll usually get results. Now, I did mention LinkedIn. I don't really call that a social media network. That's, that's more of a business network. I do post there. It, it can be valuable if you're looking for a job. I'm not. So I don't really know how valuable it is, but I do have a couple of my friends that I interact with there. So I enjoy posting to LinkedIn, but the, the primaries are Facebook, Instagram, Flickr, and Twitter. And I think that if you can simply make yourself a promise to post at least one picture a day to those four sites, within a year, you will see a market increase in your audience. And you may even get published. You may even get a job. You may even get paid. You may get a licensing deal. But none of this will happen if you don't post. Now, keep in mind, if you're on there interacting with people and playing with snarky memes and engaging in the camera wars, that cuts down on the time you have to do something productive like post a picture. It's an ugly world. Go make it beautiful. Post a picture on social media. Do your part. Let me know what you think. Let me know what kind of experiences you've had on social media. Send me an email, scott at picturemethods.com. I'm going to keep this as an ongoing potential topic for the show because I get asked about it a lot. I talked mostly about Instagram today. Uh, is there something else I should talk about? Is there a new social media site that everybody's talking about that I'm not using? It wouldn't surprise me if it were true. Just let me know. Scott at picturemethods.com. As promised, very special interview for you on the Picture Methods podcast today. Steve Brazel's here. He is a very, very, very talented concert photographer, and he's a friend of the show. Welcome, Steve. Glad to have you on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Scott, and congratulations on the new podcast. And yes, you are way too kind. <laughs> no, you, you seriously, dude. I mean, I'm going to tell everybody probably two or three times during this interview, if you don't visit Steve's website, you're going to miss out because there's something about your concert photography. I've seen tons of this stuff. And like 50 years ago, I tried my hand at it. I wandered into a, a Led Zeppelin concert with Uriah Heep as the backup and got, oh. up, got it got in there with my Nikon FTN and my 50 millimeter lens, which is all I had. And uh, I actually ended up selling a couple of pictures of Circus Circus magazine. But uh, I, I tell you, what you do is truly special. There's The first thing I want to note is that you have a definite style. And I could see your pictures and know that they're yours. And I think that's the highest compliment I can pay a photographer. And so, I thank you for that because that actually does matter to me a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to start with asking you, what got you interested in concert photography? I've been in radio for about 40 years and I still am in radio. I, I, I work at a rock radio station in Southern California and literally in the old days of radio, you and I are both, you know, slightly older than, than some other people out there. And so in the old days of radio, we were able to get backstage for meet and greets at concerts. One day after I got into photography, I just looked at my program director and I said, by the way, I'm kind of into photography. Is there any way we can get photo passes? And his response was, I don't know, but I'll send you the logo, make yourself a business card and give it a shot. <laughs> and two weeks later, I was photographing Def Leppard and Hart. Wow. That's not a bad start. No, it's an unusual start, but it's it it was not a bad one. Yeah. Um, 
I know that there are lots of people who want to do this kind of photography. So looking at your portfolio, I have no doubt in my mind that you're one of the best in the business. So what's the one first thing that you would tell a photographer who's trying to break in to concert photography? What's the one thing that they really need to know, really? And, and that is a question that we concert photographers get often. And the answer is actually, it's one answer, but it's twofold. Get used to shooting at really high ISO and ignoring the noise. You're going to end up shooting in very dark venues without a flash with a fast-moving subject. Don't worry about the things you can't control. A sharp shot that has a little bit of noise in it is always preferred over a really clean shot that's blurry. <laughs> well, you, you know what uh, Rick Salmon's dad says about noise in pictures, right? Yeah, it's one of my favorite quotes. Yeah, if, if, if people are just talking about the noise in your picture, it must not be a very good picture. Yeah. Well, I, I really appreciate you saying that because I'll tell you what, I didn't see any noise in your pictures because I wasn't looking for them because I was too busy being engaged by the incredible poses you've captured, by the reactions on the musical artist's face. Oh, my gosh. And and the way that you front and center a lot of these pictures so that it's in your face. I love that. And I haven't seen that from any other concert photographers. D is Did that style develop? Uh, sort of naturally or did, are you following someone that that mentored you to give you that style because it's definitely a style it's it, that's that's actually an interesting question i some of my favorite music photographers like christy goodwin who's the house photographer at the royal albert hall in london is i'm a huge fan of and, and lucky to call her a friend and i love her style and i think at times i've i've tried to kind of to figure it out but inevitably i come back to my eye and my eye tends to be more detail and less wide environmental. I shoot that on occasion, but I like tighter shots. I like shots that, you know, going back to a, something I've heard you say a million times, fill the frame. I like shots that are that that translate that energy of a live show through the photo. And the best way to do that is to fill that frame. The name of the game is fill the frame. I tell you what, you do a great job of it, Steve. It just, I'm telling you, I'm not really interested in this kind of photography, to be honest, but I couldn't stop looking at the pictures. And that's how I knew that uh, you were the guy I wanted to talk to about this subject. All right, let's get to the hard question, because I imagine it's harder than ever. It wasn't so hard when I was a teenager, but I'm guessing it is now. How do photographers get access to these shows to make the kind of pictures that you make? That's the hardest question. And it's not it's not a hard answer. It's a, it's hard to implement the solution to it. So most concerts that are of any name artist, right? A, a well-known artist, they're not going to let you into the photo pit with a camera to take pictures for yourself, your portfolio, or your Instagram. They're looking for media coverage for press coverage. So the way you get access is you get a press credential, a photographic press credential, which means you need a media outlet. And the biggest problem that most people don't realize is that doesn't mean it has to be Billboard magazine. In every market, wherever you are, there's a small local newspaper or a local magazine or 15 websites of people who just love music and created a website. And what I shoot for, nobody thinks about radio. Every radio station has a blog, usually WordPress, and they want photos of the types of artists that they play. So in my case, I'm in rock radio. 
I can really only end up shooting rock artists. But I immediately have the ability to say, I'm photographing for this radio station. Can I get a press credential to this show? Before you have that, the one thing I would say is some of the best photographs you'll ever take are in small clubs where you don't need any credentials. Grab your camera, go into a small club, and start cutting your chops and learning how to shoot fast, low-light action photography. Wow, that's a super valuable tip. Since we're on a roll here with the tips, can you name uh, two or three other tips outside of what we've already discussed that you wish you would have known when you were first starting out? Yeah. When you're photographing live music, I see so many people that are new that go into a photo pit and it's just spray and pray because we only get three songs usually. Some artists are less, some a little bit more. The, The standard rule is three songs from the pit with no flash. And new photographers tend to panic because, oh my gosh, I've only got three songs. What am I going to do? And what I tell people is you need to be able to watch the lighting, listen to the music. All songs have repetition and patterns and choruses and verses. And music has lighting that matches that. So if you listen to the songs, slow down. And concentrate on capturing the moments that matter, not 1,500 shots because you're worried that you're going to run out of time. So number one would just be slow down and start listening and trying to time your shots and take those types of shots that you need. The other thing is don't take so much gear with you that it becomes a hindrance. You want multiple lenses in concert photography, but you don't need five of them. The holy trinity, we call it, is the 16 to 35, the 24 to 70, and the 70 to 200. Pick two of them if you need to. Have two bodies if you can. And then you've just got everything that you need ready to go. Makes it a lot easier. So what I'm hearing, Steve, is pretty much what I know about all kinds of photography is you're you're essentially saying you got to be passionate about this. If you, you know, particularly love your comment about the music, if you know the music, you kind of know what to expect. It's like a sports photographer that knows if a guy's standing on first base, he's got to point his lens at second base because he wants to get the sweeping tag on the exactly, steel. Exactly, exactly. And and the best investment I ever made, most people use you know, the foam earplugs, which block everything. The best investment I actually ever made was I went and I bought custom molded earplugs because it cuts the volume down where my ears are safe, but I can completely hear the vocalist sing. So I can time to the crescendos of the music and and whatever he's doing vocally, it makes life a lot easier. But you made an interesting comment, and that is it's the same type of advice that you hear in any type of photography. Photography is really photography. What Concert photography is just low-light action photography. But as you know from shooting race cars and stuff, when you are shooting anything that's fast action, you also need to know your gear, right? You only have three songs. I took a wedding photographer with me once that freaked out because (laughs) as he put the camera up to shoot the singer, boom, the singer was gone and he didn't know what to do. You don't have time to think about lights came on. Now I need to drop my shutter a stop or raise my shutter a stop. You have to be able to, to, to operate your camera without thought instantly on the spot. So there is nothing like understanding your gear and an exposure triangle. 
awfully similar to bird photography. You can't ask that eagle to pirouette again right in front of you because you weren't ready to with your camera. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, what's Steve, what's the hardest thing or the worst thing? Pick one. The hardest thing or the worst thing about concert photography? The hardest thing about concert photography is when you get a band that has quite often the type of rock that I shoot, the artists are very visual. And so they want, like Rob Zombie is a great example. He also makes movies, generally horror movies, but he's very theatrical. And so his lighting is solid reds or solid greens. And a solid red light on a singer will clip very, very quickly. If you don't learn how to either capture it right in camera or process it afterwards, it can be some of those shows can be very difficult because the lighting is so bad from a photographic point of view. Um, I would say that's probably the hardest thing is just in some cases, the lighting is so difficult. I've had shows where if I take a step or if the singer takes a step forward, he's in the sun, he or she, if they take a step backward, they're in the shade and it's an outdoor festival. And literally that one step is a three stop difference on their face. Well, that sounds challenging. All right, let's let's turn this around and say, what what's the very best or your most favorite thing about concert photography? It's addicting. <laughs> there is there is no way. My favorite part of a concert. People say to me, "Do I like concert photography?" And I say to them, "Well, the front row is behind me because I'm in the photo pit, which is where security is in front of the stage, keeping the crowd away. So the front row is actually behind me for those three songs." Right before the band hits the stage, I mean, literally right before, 30 seconds, one minute, you can feel an energy in a concert hall or arena that's like nothing else you will ever feel in your life. And then the band hits the stage, and for three songs, it's hurry up and go, and then you're escorted out. And that energy is just addicting. Wow. Thanks for sharing that, Steve, because that gave me goose pimples. And again, I don't have any desire to be a concert photographer, but I tell you what, I can feel what you're talking about and translate it into my type of photography. And I want to encourage our listeners to hear the passion in Steve's voice uh, because, man, oh, man, that's what it's all about right there. Okay, well, <laughs> ironically, my next question is the absolutely least important question I'm going to ask you during this interview, but I have to because if I don't, I'll get hate mail. Uh, what kind of gear do you shoot with? I'm a Canon shooter and I carry two bodies with me. A lot of guys only carry one. I carry a 5D Mark IV with a, I, I use a double rapid strap. I have a 5D Mark IV in my right hip that always has either a 24 to 70 Mark II or a 70 to 200 on it. And on my left hip is a 5D Mark III that either has, and this one doesn't change usually during a show. I only take one of them either the brand new 16 to 35 Mark III or a Sigma 15 millimeter fisheye. Because sometimes you'll have a guitarist or a bassist come and stick their bass or guitar head in your face or a singer come right up to you. And even the 24 to 70, there's no way to get it up, zoomed out and focused fast enough. You grab the wide angle, you go, you're done at 16 millimeter or 15 millimeter. It's just handy to have it ready. Is that a rectilinear lens or is it not converted? The 16 to 35 is pretty close. It's not technically. I think the 14 to 24 is, but the 15 millimeter, no, it's a, it's a full fish. So you get the full cool effect. 
Yeah, you got to know how to use it, as you very well know. When you shoot with a fisheye, if it's not in the middle, it gets elongated. And if you do that to a female vocalist, it can look really weird and, and non-flattering. And that's <laughs> my big thing is I don't really ever like to use pictures. I respect the people that are performing up sure, there. Sure. The pictures have to be flattering to them or they shouldn't be seen to me. Well, Steve, this is great. I wish we had more time. It's amazing how invigorating it is to hear someone talk about their genre of photography when they speak from a point of view of pure passion. So I'm grateful that you took the time to be on the show. How can people find out more about what you do? Where can they reach you? Well, thank you very much for having me. And again, congrats on the new podcast. I'm so happy for you, my friend. Uh, they can find me. My website is stevebrazel.com. And Brazel is like the country Brazil, but there's two L's. And on Instagram or Twitter, it's Steve Brazel as well. Facebook is Steve Brazel Photography. Thanks again. Be sure to visit Steve's website. Please look at his portfolio. Even if you don't think you're interested in concert photography, I guarantee you you'll find it very engaging. That's Steve Brazel right here on the Picture Methods podcast. We'll be back with more photography insights and inspiration right after this. Do you want to add portfolio quality wildlife images to your library? Then consider a Picture Methods photo tour. Picture Methods tours and workshops are photography-centric events held in the best locations for nature and wildlife. Our aim is to inform, educate, inspire, and edify photographers who travel with us. Every step of the way, you'll have access to a published, professional photographer as your guide. Your trip leader puts the priority on helping you make quality images. And the leader's shots will never take precedence over yours. For more information, visit picturemethods.com and click on the photo workshop menu tab. It's time for the Q&A. It's my second favorite part of the Picture Methods podcast. I'd say the guests' interviews are my favorite, but this is a close second. And I want to thank everybody who took time to send me some questions. I don't take it for granted. I love your participation. It makes me feel like I'm not just talking to nobody. If I do get a big backlog of questions, I might just do a Q&A show, an entire show of Q&A. This month, I've got three questions we're going to do. And everybody who sends me a question, if I use it on the show, you'll be put into a top hat. And at the end of the quarter, we'll draw and give somebody a prize. I don't know what it'll be, but it'll be cool. Trust me. I really appreciate the effort it takes to sit down and send an email these days. I do. So let's get started on this month's questions. And the first one comes from Tom Grigsby in Suffolk, Virginia. A question I've been wondering about is for landscape photography. What is the correct way to select a neutral density filter, whether I should be two stops, three stops, so on? Tom, that's a good question, but it's also an easy one to answer. It's salt and pepper to taste. What are you trying to accomplish? If my good friend Rick Salmon were here, I'd say, the same thing we both say to every Q&A show, every single question starts with, it depends. It depends on what you want to do. If you're trying to get the really silky movement in the clouds or the water, it depends on how bright it is outside, and it depends on how much movement you want to portray in the image. The, the brighter it is, the darker your ND filters need to be. So that's the, that's the starting point for you. If it's really bright, you're going to need maybe... ND7, ND11, who knows? You can stack them, by the way, in most cases. 
so I would just do some test exposures. The good news is, because we're shooting digital these days, you can just look at the back of the camera and see if the neutral density filter you selected did the job. If it didn't, drop another one in there or a stronger one in there. That's all there is to it. But it basically just starts with the brighter it is, the more ND you need. If your goal is to bring down the exposure to the point where maybe you get that silky movement. Now, sometimes people use ND filters just to balance a bright sun. And in that case, we start the same place. It depends on how bright it is, but you only want enough ND to make it look neutral. So I hope that helps. By the way, when you're picking your ND filters, try to make sure that they are neutral in color. The cheaper ones will create a color cast. Not good. Not good at all. So uh, make sure that you test them. Here's how I do it. I take them and I lay them on a white piece of paper. And if the paper looks like it's got a color cast to it, then I know the ND filter is not a good one. All right. Question number two comes from Denise Beverly in Bristol, Tennessee. Denise says, I know very many technical shooters, and sometimes their photos seem too sterile. Is it sometimes acceptable to be more about the feel of a photo than being perfect technically? Or do you think both the seeing and the technical have to be in place for a good photo? Gosh, this is such a good question, Denise. I could riff on this for a while. But first of all, there's always been two arms in photography, so to speak. There was When I started going to camera clubs when I was young, it was there would be one side of the room where the technical guys, the other side of the room would be the artistic guys and gals. Not very many back in the day, but some. And there's no right answer. You can be as technical as you want to be, or you can be as ethereal as you want to be. Now, I find it interesting that you say that this picture has become too sterile for you. I actually had a person tell me the other day that my eagle photos were too, e too realistic. I really don't know what to, to make of that or what to say. I just do the best I can. I think that, you know, the, the real break point for me on this, Denise, is if your technical failure is due to a mistake you made, then it's not cool to just say, well, it's art. I didn't have to get it right. If your technical you know, choices are irrelevant and you are simply feeling your way to a photograph, I think any photograph that evokes emotion, feelings, and especially something that you feel as the person who makes the picture, I think that's the best photograph always. So I, I actually have a saying, feel your way to a photograph. But I don't think that that's an excuse to screw up the technical stuff because, you know, frankly, these days, the technical stuff's pretty easy to get right. These cameras make it easy. So I would urge you to try to find the balance, but I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. What say you, audience? Come on in and leave comments and, and tell Denise what you think. You may have a different opinion. Our third and final question for this month's episode of the Picture Methods podcast comes from Gunner Hood in Edmond, Oklahoma. Gunner asks, you've mentioned your preference for licensing versus selling images. Can you go into more detail and also talk about elements of licensing a photographer needs to consider? Good question, Gunner. I do prefer licensing to selling because once you sell a print, you're kind of done with the person who bought the print and you get paid for the print and it's all over. Licensing an image means you get residual income. Check comes every month or every year or every quarter or however you strike the deal. So yeah, the real money is in licensing, folks. It's a lot of work to stand there at the art fair and crank out 500 bucks worth of sales in individual prints. Whereas with one call from the right ad agency, you can make 500 to 5,000 for an image. Now, I will tell you that licensing has become more difficult. In the old days, 
you know, it, it, there wasn't so much competition. Now everybody has a camera and everybody's bought a copy of the photographer's market, <laughs> but you know, it's still the way to go. Uh, obviously it's a catch 22 because you really need an agent to do serious licensing and you can't get an agent until you're already doing licensing. I know that sucks, but that's just the way it is. A couple of things to think about regarding licensing. The number one thing to think about is how many eyeballs will see the photograph. That's how we judge what the license fee will be. How many eyeballs over what duration? Is it a one-day deal? Is it going to be up there for a year? And how exclusive? Is it exclusive to this one client for the time period that they are using it? Is it first rights or second rights or third rights? These are all technical terms, and you can read about them in the photographer's market. It's a book published by Writer's Digest. I highly highly recommend you start there because this isn't something can be solved in one Q&A session on a podcast. But I do want to give you some general things to think about. It's how many eyeballs, for how long, over what period of time, and for what exclusivity. As the audience grows, as the length of time grows, as the exclusivity grows, so does the price. And it's just simply based on, uh, you know, what the going rate for the market is. You have to do some research to assume that. But I'll give you an example. I recently struck a deal with an advertising agency. They saw one of my photographs on Instagram, I believe it was. They contacted me, said they'd like to use it for an ad campaign. The ad campaign was only going to run regionally, only over the course of a trade show, a three-day period. So I think we cut a deal around eight fifty for that. Uh, another one that was uh, just for a trade show booth, six hundred. Uh, it you know d people all the time ask me what should I charge. Unfortunately, I cannot answer that question legally. It would be a violation of antitrust laws. But I can point you to the direction you need to go to figure that part out. I'll just give you one real quick negotiating tip. When someone says, "How much would you charge me to license that photo?" Your first response should always be one hundred percent of the time. Well, what's your budget? That's the most important question to ask. Start there because you at least have a chance of them saying, oh, I got five grand to spend and you were thinking 500, so it's a good deal for you. But yeah, licensing is where the long-term residual income comes from. So for instance, I've done lynda.com training 10 years ago. I still get a check for that every single quarter. Uh, if you do books and you get them published, I wrote a book called Going Pro with my friend Skip Cohen, published by Random House. You can still buy it on Amazon, if you want. By the way, I make a lousy buck now at this right at this point, so I'm not I'm not pimping the book to make any money. But uh, you you get residual income. That's my point. And the more things photographers do to generate residual income, the more likelihood their life becomes stable. Their their livelihood is stable because if they have 15, 20 things producing residual income, they know what they can count on every month. I strongly recommend that you look at this methodology if you're trying to get compensated for your photography. So that's it. That's the time we have in this month's episode for Q&A. Remember, without the Q, there can be no Q&A. So please send me those questions. Here's how you do it. Just run to your email and send them to scott at picturemethods.com. Scott at picturemethods.com. I do read every single one of the questions. Unfortunately, I do not have time to answer them all on the show. Occasionally, if I have a quick answer that I can help somebody with, I will just respond back to your email. But I want the questions on the show to be the kind of question I think that will help everybody. So remember, send in a question. If I use it on the show, you will be entered into a hat to maybe win a prize, $50 
gift certificate from B&H or a free platypod or who knows what I might pull out of the prize closet. Yes, I do have an official prize closet. It's full of stuff. And I intend to give it away right here on the Picture Methods podcast and over at the Picture Methods blog. I like to wrap each episode of the Picture Methods podcast with a word or two of encouragement. It's my way of combating the silliness that seems to have permeated our planet. And I want to talk today about fulfillment in your art and in your photography. Most of us do photography because we have something to say. Photography is about sharing your inner self. It's about sharing the inner artist. It's about showing people who you are, what you care about. Whatever you photograph, that's what you care about. So I want to encourage you to concentrate on what moves you, what inspires you, what motivates you, and what drives you. Follow your heart and don't spend time trying to produce stuff just because it's commercially acceptable or because it's, quote, on trend, end quote. Produce what's artistic. Produce what you believe in. And start by believing in yourself and your own vision. If you don't believe in yourself, nobody else will. So take a stand. Stand your ground. Put your foot down. Put your flag down. Say, this is me. This is who I am. This is what I do. Like it or not, this is where my heart is. And photograph from your heart. Feel your way to a photograph. That's one of my favorite sayings. If you are photographing something you love, you're probably doing it because you have to. You must. That's like me and birds. I have to photograph birds. I must. It's not optional. That's what I have to photograph. If you're doing that and you photograph with emotion and with your whole heart, you know what? It's none of your business what other people think of your work. Who cares? You're doing what you're supposed to be doing. Just you be you. That's all you have to do. It's pretty simple. I know it sounds too simple, but it's true. You be you and know this. I'm rooting for you. On the next show, next month, we're going to talk about lenses. I love lenses. We're going to talk about how to pick them, how to use them, what you need to know to get the most out of your lenses. The lens investment's probably the most important important investment you make in photography because if you're doing this right you should keep your lenses a long time the camera bodies change the lenses are what really matter so we're going to talk about lenses like i said i believe we'll have an interview with rick salmon that's scheduled uh i do reserve the right to substitute if rick is not available but i think he's going to be here we've worked on this for a while and uh, I want you to know that I'm open to any other suggestions. What would you like me to talk about on the podcast? I'm doing this for you guys. So send me an email, scott at picturemethods.com. I do have lots of content every week over at the blog. I'm trying to put something up three, four, five days a week over there, www.picturemethods.com. I also have giveaways going again. And right now I have uh, a... a platypod giveaway going i've got another bnh gift card going 
uh, pretty soon. And I'm going to do a quarterly newsletter. I've resisted this, but everyone tells me I'm supposed to do it, so I'm going to. And if you sign up for it, you can do it over there at the Picture Methods blog. I promise you, you will hear from me only four times a year. It's going to be quarterly and just that. Once every quarter, I will never sell your name. I will not rent the list. You'll only hear from me. So uh, sign up. And by the way, you can always unsign up if you don't like it. That's something I got going on. And click on the workshops tab up at the top of the Picture Methods blog. I've freed myself up to have time to do some more teaching this year. I'm not doing tons of workshops, but I am doing some cool stuff. Most of them are sold out, but there's a couple that I have seats available for i have two seats left for bosque del apache and i'm not bragging i just know more about that place than almost anybody so come down there with me you will have an amazing time and i have uh, probably five seats left for my captive raptor workshop in colorado this fall oh my gosh i may have 15 to 20 species for you these are beautiful birds that have been rehabbed they're all in perfect condition their job now is as bird or avian ambassadors, and our pictures of them uh, will go a long way towards helping them do their job. It's also a great way to practice, build a portfolio, because you will have trouble finding these birds. You'd have to get on a plane to get to most of them. I'm going to have them all in one place with a master falconer I've worked with before. His name is Kin. He's a great guy. He loves the birds as much as I do. And it'll be a tremendously fun time. So you can find links to that. I do have my Alaska workshop sold out. One of the Bosque workshops is sold out. But I do privates. If you want a private workshop, it's not going to be cheap. But if you want me to come someplace or you want to come up here to the Seattle area, I'm happy to work with you, whether it's on your portfolio, it's on business, whether it's on just trying to learn how to shoot. So check that out. Be sure to tell your friends about the show and please, please, please subscribe on iTunes and any other platform that you like. Again, I do not take for granted your listenership. I'm grateful for it and I will work hard to earn your continued investment in the show along with me. So until next time, keep shooting. Hey, Rick Salmon here. Thanks so much for listening to my good friend Scott Bourne's Picture Method podcast. Be sure to visit www.picturemethods.com for more photography insights, inspiration, and of course, to subscribe. Then head over to my podcast, picturingsuccesspodcast.com, to hear what I talk about with my good friend, Larry Becker.